to go ahead and keep going, and we're going to be in week number two of the journey, and we're talking about and continuing on from a Sunday, the idea of the unsaved Christian, uh, and we're going to continue to talk about um, faith and what faith demands and, and all those kind of things, and looking at uh, what the scripture commands of us by, by faith and trust in Christ. So let me open us up in prayer, and then we'll jump right in, okay? Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to love you, to serve you, Lord. Father, I pray that uh, as we continue on with this ministry of the journey, you provide uh, for the resources that we need, uh, Lord, to provide for the food and, Lord, um, all the things that we're doing, Lord. Father, I thank you so much for just blessing this time together. I pray that as we uh, continue on, you would challenge our hearts, our minds, and that in all that we say and do, Lord, it would give you glory. And Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise. Christ's name. Amen. So Sunday, Gardner uh, did an amazing job going through the text uh, with you guys, continuing on with this series. And so we're going to look at now um, how people look at faith and what faith looks like and what true biblical faith looks like. Um, you know, in the city of New Orleans, uh, it's a big thing that when you walk around and you talk to people, uh, everyone claims that they are a Christian. And that's everywhere. Everybody claims that they are Christian. Uh, in fact, uh, Augustine said this. He said, you've made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. The reality is everybody's heart is very much restless, and they find like they, they look for rest in all sorts of places. But until you find rest in Christ, that's the only true rest that you can have. In fact, when I first moved back here uh, from Baton Rouge, it was different. I mean, I knew it was different, but I, I recognized growing up here and being here. Uh, in fact, when I moved away from here, I remember when I first started meeting musicians, Christian musicians that were actually saved. That was like shocking to me because all the time I was in church, I didn't know any saved Christian musicians. That was just the truth of it. And so when I went to the church I was at, I was like, man, they have, like, actual Christian musicians that are born again, like, filled the Spirit, like, actually following Jesus. Well, because the reality is, is that many people uh, claim to know God, but don't really have a relationship with Christ. And so uh, we see this over and over again. Uh, many people, instead of moving beyond uh, their doing and their abilities, instead of moving beyond that and trusting in Christ, uh, they have a different story. They trust in their works and, and all these things. Now, I want to make something clear for us, all right? Understand this. We're not talking about those who have truly put their faith and trust in Christ and are struggling, all right? So, so I want to give that clear kind of demarcation for us. We're not talking about those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, and they're just they're struggling to live it out. They may be struggling in their faith. They may be struggling with different things. Uh, no, we're, we're talking about those who have a form of godliness but have denied the power of the gospel. We're talking about those who have a veneer of a Christian but really aren't born again. That's what we're talking about, okay? So just because someone is not at the maturity level that you're at, just because they're not at the maturity level you, they, you feel like they need to be at, all right, doesn't mean they're truly, not born, truly born again, truly not born again, all right? Somebody may not be where you are, but I want to just kind of humble us a little bit. You ain't where Jesus wants you to be either. So here's the thing. Many of us, oftentimes, we look at people's maturity level and because of where they are and say, oh, see, uh-uh, no, you're not a Christian. Not necessarily. It could be a discipleship issue. It could be a, a struggle with sin issue. Look, I just preached to 1,200 men um, in Shreveport. This past week, 1,200 men packed in a room, thousands of men. 
And many of those men were Christian men, but struggling with pornography, needing victory, needing uh, to understand how to live out the Christian life. You have to understand this. Just because somebody comes to faith in Christ doesn't mean everything in their life is just going to be all of a sudden the sin that they were in, they're going to just be perfect. Now, I don't know about you. I know for me, the Holy Spirit had to work on some things in me and through me, and he still is, right? So we see that. So we see the, the reality of understanding grace and, and all these things. Romans 14, 1 says it like this. It says, except anyone who is weak in faith. Now, while everyone who is in Christ comes from darkness to light, not everyone who is truly in Christ automatically gives up every vice they had before Jesus. That's why you see all throughout the scripture, Paul admonishing them, hey, remember what Christ has done. Don't go back that way. Remember what Christ has done and move forward. This is what the scripture is telling us, that God still extends grace to those who are struggling, those who are mature, all these things. In fact, the Bible goes on to say this, but you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. Romans 14, 13 says, therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. So we see the reality of, yes, there are those who are maybe in Christ but not yet mature, right? Because that's what's happening. We're, you're coming here to be equipped, right? God is maturing you. But we're focusing in on those who have what we call a, a civic type of faith, a, 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 a false faith that is not really in Christ. The Bible goes on to say this to us in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 18. It says, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the spirit. So that means as you are walking with Christ, the more you follow Christ, God is transforming you from glory to glory, from faith to faith. So we're all being matured. We're just at different Paces, right? This is why discipleship is a big thing. Remember, it's not our standard of godliness. The authority is the scripture. So think about it. You may not dance, but your brother and sister in Christ may dance. Now, we're not talking about lewdness or nothing like that. We're talking about, you know. And you may say, well, you know what? Godly people don't dance. That's your opinion. That's not scripture. You see what I'm saying? So you have to judge it by the authority of the scripture, not by your own thing. Now, yes, there are things we should have an ethical standard from the scriptures, but we got to make sure we're pointing people to the scripture, not our own standard. It's the Lord's, right? So we have to say, what does the Lord say and call us to do and be? And so we're keying on those who may profess, even have an outward appearance, but have not trusted in the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why it's such, uh, I mean, you know, you think about it, it's an oxymoron, the unsaved Christian. Yes, we do know that a thing doesn't exist, but it does in a very, very real reality. There are those who have a veneer of godliness, but have not truly been born again. How do we know this? In New Orleans, 11.5% of the population claims to be evangelical, claims to be born again. Now, 11.5% of one point something million folks, right, say they are evangelical Christians, right? Now, out of that 11.5%, who really is born again, right? Who really has trusted in Christ outside of the whole lot of people who are not born again? So this is what we're focused on. So here's the first thing we're going to look at tonight is the idea of moralistic, therapeutic 
deism, all right? Let me see if these slides will work for us. Hold on, let's see. All right, moralistic therapeutic deism. Remember, we're going through the text from Dean and Sarah, uh, the unsaved Christian. And so this is the new American religion. This is the reality of the new American religion. And what this means is that moralistic therapeutic deism is this. It's a God, they believe a God exists who created and orders the world and watches over human life. They believe that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair. I'm going to pause here for a second. Niceness is killing men. The Bible doesn't tell anyone to be nice. It says to be kind. Niceness is what we have now, and it's, it's not biblical. You, you're kind, because kind, you can be firm in all these things. That's a whole other subject. But they want people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible in most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Good people go to heaven when they die. This is the idea within the American landscape of Christianity, that everyone, if you're good, when you die, everyone goes to heaven. This is why when a celebrity dies, what's the first thing everybody says? Rest in peace. They could have been selling crack, killing people and everything, but Jojo is in a better place. That's not the gospel. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The average person will say they are more, they won't say they're more deist. They'll just call themselves Christians because that's what they hold to. So your average American will, if you ask, check that, yes, I'm a Christian. And what does that mean? It means that they are good people who believe in God but aren't Jewish or Muslim. This is what they're saying. So in the entirety of this list, if you go back through this idea of uh, the new American religion, the moralistic therapeutic deism, everything I said, God wants people to be good. God exists uh, who created everything. God uh, does not need to be particularly involved. Good people go to heaven when they die. You know the one thing that's missing out of all that? Jesus. You know, it, it never said anything about Christ. Never anything about Christ. Most in this category cannot clearly articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we talked about last week, what is the gospel? That's the one thing we kind of kept going to, what is the gospel? Among those who are cultural Christians, they kind of make this distinction that there are those who kind of are born again, you know. I've been called this before, holy roller. You're one of those who are really serious. It's like, no, I'm not serious. I'm just biblical. I'm just, I'm born again. But this is what happens, right? You see the distinction. You see the line in the sand that when you hear people say like stuff like this, oh, they don't take all that. Which means you don't take all that to read the Bible, pray, go to church, love God, love people. Like that's like low level, right? No, this is the reality. Mainstream Christianity promotes this. Be nice to others. Your personal happiness. You understand God is not interested in your personal happiness. He's interested in your holiness, and when you love him and you serve him, this is what derives your joy. Therefore, your happiness comes from serving him, not from serving yourself. Mainstream Christianity promotes this, pray when something bad happens. It rests in what you've done, and what you've done, the goodness that you've done, will get you to heaven. So then what we see here then is this idea of Jesus admiring versus Jesus following. So the Jesus admirer, it's, it kind of sees Jesus as uh, this idea of a king, lowercase, 
who exemplifies and grants earthly decorations of success without any call to die. It's interesting that when you read in, in Romans, and, and Paul is writing to the church, and he tells them, look, flee, he says, look, sexual morality, impurity shouldn't be found among you. But you know the third thing he says? Greed, which is idolatry. See, here's the thing. It's easy for us to kind of rail at the sexual morality and impurity. Why? Because you see it. But you know what? That greed thing, we don't touch that. It's the soft prosperity. It's the, it's the idea that we make things our God. That's why it's idolatry. And this is what the Jesus admirer does. It, it sets up Jesus as this decorative person who gives them success without any call to die. It's a self-proclaimed Christianity who worships a God that requires no self-sacrifice, no obedience, no submission, and no surrender. And it's not worshiping the God of the Bible. This is not the God of the Scripture. No matter how much somebody claims they love Jesus, if it's not the Jesus of the Bible, it is not the true biblical Jesus. John 14, 15, Jesus said this, If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And John 14, 23 and 24 says, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it's from the Father who sent me. So many people see Jesus as a good luck charm. You say, no, people don't. How many people you see ride around there in their car with a palm branch from like 18 months ago? How many people you see and you walk in their home and they have Psalm 23 open as if the words are going to magically pop off and then that's what gives the power? No. Now, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with having the Bible open your house. But when you see them, if you see the Bible as a mystical, magical book and Jesus as a genie in the sky, you're not worshiping the, the real Jesus. Many want a good luck charm, Jesus, not the sacrificial lamb of God, whose death requires action. So an intellectual grasp of the gospel story is not the thing that we're looking for. You, you should have that, yes, right? Understanding the gospel. But look what the, the Bible says this in James 2.19. It says, about the demons, it says, you believe God is one, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So belief in God without the Christ of the cross is a deficient faith. So even demons believe that. But a life that's transformed by the true gospel, understanding will result in a heart of worship and a desire to follow the king. So knowledge alone does not equate to saving faith. Many people know the gospel. Many people know about God, but do they have saving faith? Is there faith and trust in Christ alone? And that's the demarcation. Some people say, you know, when we sing God bless America, or when politicians say God bless the United States of America, what God are they talking about? Because if it's the God of the scripture, let's just go there. We're going to be claiming a whole lot of holiness and a whole lot of dying to sin, but why would anyone want that in a country that murders their unborn? The Bible says this long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You see what I'm saying? You can't just have God and just say, well, we are God, but we're not going to acknowledge the son. No, you have to acknowledge the son because the father has said, I've sent the son. And I've appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. So you can't neglect the son because he is the only means of salvation for us. 
So a faith clothed in Christian language that doesn't find its definition in the person and work of Jesus Christ, it is not Christian faith. And I know for us that's hard to hear because you say, man, like, are you saying of people? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm just agreeing with Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's exactly what I'm agreeing with, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he says whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Jesus said this, Matthew 16, 24, 25, or we come, as we come around the corner, he says this, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. So taking up your cross essentially is this, is dying to self. It's dying to your own desires. It's dying to your needs. It's an absolute surrender to the Lord. You know what's amazing? You want to say, does God answer prayer? He does. Can I pray about anything? You can. Can I go to the Lord about anything I need in my life? You can. Does God do miracles? He does. Does God heal? He does. But here's the thing. You know what the scripture tells us very clearly? Ask anything in my will. And I'll do it. Lord, I don't want your will. I want my will. But it's dying to self. And that's hard for us. No one wants to do that. For many people, when they think of God, the things that come to mind, it's morality, it's national pride, it's ethnic pride, maybe it's a specific country. All these things come to mind when people talk about God, but we're saying no, we are looking at the God of the Scripture. So here's the last thing we look at before we go to our groups. Many people struggle with this. It's the idea that God would not allow me to suffer. So you think about this. If you have a God that's not in the Scripture, that means you have a God that's deficient, which means you have an idol. So therefore, when you come into a church or you come into a place and they don't give you the full gospel, then you get this kind of deficient Kool-Aid gospel. You get the Jim Jones gospel. It's laced with cyanide. You drink it. And then real life hits you and you begin to die. Not because God is different. You've gotten something that was deficient and poisoned. The Bible says this in Hebrews 12, 7, endure suffering as, a, as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? In the kingdom of God, we see that we are called children, but also we're seen as sons. This idea of this kind of seen as adult sons and daughters, children whom the father desires to mature more and more. The key word in this scripture there is the word chastening. It's a Greek word that simply means this. It means child training or instruction and discipline. In fact, in the Greek culture, a young boy is expected to work out in the gymnasium until he reached his maturity. It was part of the preparation for adult life. And so the writer of this viewed the trials of the Christian life as spiritual discipline that could help a believer mature. So instead of escaping the difficulties of life, the Lord uses them to mature us to look more like his son. This is what is amazing. God did not spare Jesus. Jesus endured, I mean, Jesus walked this very life, right? God did not, he didn't spare the son. He didn't spare the apostles either. Paul shipwrecked, floating around, bitten by snakes. Many of the apostles chopped off their heads, boiled in oil. So you telling me, 
we've arrived in the 21st century and somehow we've arrived at a place where there is no more suffering for a Christian? You're telling me we're better than the Apostle Paul? You said we have some type of special anointing that we no longer suffer when the scripture tells us here the reality that God uses these things as discipline even in our lives? When we're suffering, it's easy to think that God doesn't love us. But the Bible is clear that God indeed chastens or corrects those who are his. And he does this a couple ways. His word, he does it through the conviction of sin. God the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin. And the Lord allows suffering. The doctrine of suffering is lost. And there are many believers who have a deficient faith and will walk away from the Lord because they're suffering. And they say, well, man, I'm suffering. God no longer loves me. No, God does love you. Could it be that God has allowed this? Oh, well, let me go a little biblical here, a little theological here. I know we forget about Job. Discomfort, hardship, deprivations, born for the sake of Christ are viewed as privileges and blessings. What did Paul say? I seek to know him in the fellowship of his what? No, he didn't say that. He said in the fellowship of all good things happening all the time. (laughs) Blessing and favor and anointing happening. No, he said sufferings. Why? The early church saw it as a blessing, as a privilege to be identified with the Savior. Now what do we want? I don't want to be identified with Jesus. I want everything he can give me, but none of the life he wants me to live. No. This prepares us. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. The Bible says this, and we'll close and go to our groups. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Why do we end on that? It's because to know the true biblical God, to know the God of the Scripture, is to know a God who is holistically caring for every aspect of our life and who is sovereign over all things even when we suffer. You know what? The reality is God doesn't change when you get cancer. He doesn't change when you lose your job. He doesn't change when your marriage falls apart. He's still the same. And when you're truly in Christ, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they find what? Safety. Why am I ending this? It's because if you're struggling in your faith, but you keep running to the strong tower, that is evidence you're in Christ. If you're struggling in your faith, and here's the thing. I know this messes with some of our theology, but this is true. Maybe God has allowed suffering to sanctify us. The most sanctifying time of your life is not on the mountaintop. It's in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel you. Those things are not in there because these folks just had a, oh, you know, I got an epiphany. I'm going to write this. No, this is what they're walking through. And this same God who keeps you on the mountaintops is sovereign in the valleys. 
Why? Because he's sovereign over cancer and all these other things. And you say, well, well, well can God heal my body? Can God give me? Yes, God can do all these things. But if he doesn't, I still will bless the name of the Lord because he's faithful. Amen. I didn't get a chance to preach to y'all, so I get a chance Sunday. So, amen. <laughs>